0: Here, wait. I should just start out with the yo, yeah, are going to. straight into it. But I thought you know, because usually we have the like we edit the intro, but we're just this isn't really a normal guest uh situation, we just happen to still have do uh, the yeah, co- Okay, so yo, welcome to the where it went podcast where we discuss the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. Uh, your usual hosts, I- I'm Javier, and I'm joined by... I'm Greg. And then uh, also joined by now... I'm Jason. And today we have a special co-host that is... Man, he's been in a couple bands you might have heard of. Uh, you know, Mouthpiece, Hands Tied, mm-hmm. Triple Threat. just uh, And then, very notably, Double Cross, which has made oh. an exhaustive... Um, archaeological journey of hardcore that is, I think, required reading for anybody who gives a shit about oh, you yeah. know, knowing a deeper understanding of, of all of these records and musicians, artists, venues, everything. And Tim, right now, you found Double Cross went offline for a little bit and then you found a new home actually at... Yeah revelation records right At
1: revelation yeah yeah um yeah so we were doing double cross for like about eight years and um just to give you a little little backstory about what happened because i know a lot of people don't know what happened um we had posted a picture because i i used to just grab pictures from anywhere um and i grabbed a picture off of facebook and uh it was i'm not going to go into the specifics but it was on somebody's uh, somebody in a band's page um and i said hey can i use this picture that's posted on your page and they had a little story about about the you know the the show that the picture was taken at and he said yeah sure that's totally cool so i posted that and then five years later it turned out that the photographer who took the picture i guess turned into like a big name photographer um not somebody that i necessarily heard but um and he sent his lawyers out looking for his pictures all over the internet And he found them on our page and somehow he determined that we were making money off of the picture that we had posted for a story. So he sued us for like $50,000. And, um, we, we, we said, look, we'll take the picture down. Um, we'll, we'll write a written apology. And they were like, that's cool. Thank you. We appreciate it, but we're still going to sue you. And, um, we just ended up shutting the whole page down and got some lawyers involved and everything sort of went away, I guess, kind of, but um, yeah, so that's why we shut the whole page down. And then um, yeah, I've talked to Sammy on and off about what he's been doing with revelation and he pitched this idea about doing the speak up um, section on the website. that was going to kind of be like a blog and he said, You know what i'd be interested in bringing back double cross as like you know the archive material and um i was like yeah why not um it's it's all there it's it's it you know it's just a matter of like getting pictures and stuff like that so um you know some pictures i've saved some pictures i've just pulled off of the the old archives but yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of given it a a new life so it's been it's been fun going through stuff because i mean there's there's interviews that we did you know, so many years ago that I forget about, you know, and, uh, it's cool to like pull them out and go, wow, that was, that was a great interview. Um, so it's been fun.
2: Did you ever think about compiling them into a book? Like Rev does yeah. the books with, like the antimatter they did. And, uh, some of the other ones, like, cause that would be a killer book. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd put in my pre-order for it.
1: Yeah, that was that was absolutely an i a plan in the very beginning. I mean, well, the very beginning it was it, everything was very loose and and there really wasn't any real plan other than just kind of uh, put together you know some a, a little blog with some uh, interviews that I had done previously. But as things started to grow and um, I got Gordo involved, he kind of helped kick it all up to a whole nother level and and we were like actively reaching out like you guys are like. You know, daily, you know, trying to contact this guy and talk about this, and we were just constantly in touch with people. And um, eventually, you know, we we had photographers and, and all these interviews, and we we're like, you know, we should do, um, like maybe like a volume, you know, you know Double Cross Volume One, and it maybe be maybe it would be the, um, you know, first year of the uh, of the site, and then, um, and then you know, down the line, uh, double cross volume two. Um, but it just maintaining the site and, and all the interviews that we were doing and just all the posting and, you know, everything behind the scenes that I had to do, which I'm sure you guys all have an idea of what mm-hmm. goes into it by what you guys do here. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm a guy, uh, you know, a, a husband and, three kids and uh this is going back a while so my kids were all younger and um you know like it started off i was doing it down here in the basement and i'd be out of the eyes of the family for like hours you know down here and then eventually i I got a laptop and i'd be upstairs but my attention was on that you know so um it was it was like a it was like a part-time job you know um but we didn't make a dime other than you know we sold a couple shirts here and there but that kind of just broke even right i'm glad um, you I'm glad
2: you mentioned too how much work goes into this stuff because you know, oh my I know God. Javier yeah. and I talked about uh and now with Jason is like we had no idea like just how yeah. much work goes into putting this out every week, like yep. and I think people don't I didn't even understand it until I did it,
3: mm-hmm. like yeah. and
2: I have another podcast that's not as frequent as this. And even that's right. like work, but this one's a lot more work because we're trying to, you know, like you said, reaching out to people every day, scheduling stuff, making yep. sure to advertise and all that. And it's it's crazy. And yeah. it's just, it's funny to me that somebody would think that you're making, because to me, the double cross was just clearly like a labor of love type yeah. thing. So yeah, like, oh, why totally would they was. think that you're doing
1: this blog well, so, to make money? So what I, right. What I didn't mention was, We started um, Double Cross, it was just a WordPress blog, Mm -hmm. but after like a handful of years, we ended up, we got some other people involved and Ed from Livewire got involved and he had a domain already um, from Livewire Records. So we ended up moving the whole site um, onto a Livewire, Livewire Records domain. And, um, so we had like, you know, more options, you know, how, how we could make the page look and things we could do and stuff like that with it. And, um, so when this photographer's lawyer went looking, they saw that the domain was owned by Livewire Records. So therefore they thought we were somehow making money for Livewire Records for it, which gotcha. we weren't at all. There was zero, zero connection other than, you know, the, the website was, was owned by it. Um, but that's what they saw. And that was their, that was their, um, their reasoning, you know? Mm. So yeah, I, I remember Greg, when, when you first told me you were going to be doing this, I, do you remember I said to you, uh, watch how much time this is going to take. <laughs> you know. got a family too. And, I know.
2: And, and there, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a giant house and I, and as everyone knows now at this point, especially in pandemic times, but even if it wasn't a pandemic, like, We're not in a studio like we're doing this, you know, in our house and I have to kids that are playing Fortnite and run, you know, (laughs) they're older, but still like, you know, and and they're great about it. They're they're quiet. But yeah, it takes it takes time. Mm -hmm. And we're doing these Patreon episodes because we're trying Mm -hmm. to focus on making sure it's quality for everybody.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I, I told my, I told my family, I was like, uh, can't, where should I go to be quiet? And they said, why don't you go outside? I'm like, no, I'm not going to go outside. So. Yeah. When
0: we interviewed Arthur for the Gorilla Biscuit or um, Luke for the Gorilla Biscuit yeah. 7, and she was outside on his porch and like just chilling <laughs> on a porch with a dog. It looked awesome, but it looked still, very relaxing. He was, yeah. he was outside and same thing. Like I'm holed up, you know, in the bedroom and... Jason's like in the attic, and we're all just trying (laughs) to to do what
1: we can. Yeah, I'm down in the basement, so almost like we're
3: in uh, punk bands. Dude, I think I I stayed. I think I stayed in that basement. I think
1: count me out when we stayed at the same house. You did stay in this basement, same house.
3: Yep. Yeah, ten yard fight. Ten yard fight better than a thousand tour. So holy shit!
1: Yeah.
2: Before we before we get into bold, I had I had put uh, we put Jason on the spot. And we pitted 110 against permanent. Of all the records huh? that you've played on, do you have a personal favorite where you're like, this is my favorite thing I've done? Like, if someone was like, what's your. What's that your I
1: played favorite? on? Yeah. Is that. What you said, oh.
2: Just a fun uh, little extra question. Hmm.
1: And that is. uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe. Maybe the hands tied, Seven Inch?
3: Mm,
2: that's
1: a great Good answer
2: seven-ish. that's i was gonna say I if i had to pick that might be my favorite just because uh, i mean they um, all
1: have they all have their you know their their reasons for me picking each one but um i don't know if you're gonna ask me right this second i'm gonna say the inside seven inch yeah. but you know it could be something else tomorrow um i mean if you asked me last year i would have said the search seven inch you know but it's there's been some quiet time with search so now I'm yeah. like, oh, well, maybe well we're excited hopefully excited
2: hopefully by the time we get to the search you guys have you know been able to play some more and get some more stuff out yeah
1: yeah but
0: i mean before we get into bold even though i think we need to so listen we want to uh give a big bit of bow to our sponsors for this episode mission Two entertainment Mission 2 put out a discography of sorts. Uh, did we dis- decide anthology? Discography? I think we said a retrospective. Retrospective of the band Insights. And it's ironic that we have Tim here because Tim was a huge contributor to that Insight yeah. record coming out. So um, that's awesome that we, Tim, do you have anything that you could share with us about that Insight
1: uh, discography, uh, th- real quick? Th- th- well, just that I had, I met those guys when they were on tour with chain in 89. Um, they, they played my friend's ramp and uh, they're actually, their, their van broke down in Philly. We went and picked them up and the show was over by the time they got there, but they spent the night at my friend's house and we hung out with them. They were all like awesome dudes. And um, uh, I just sort of maintained uh, some sort of connection with Mark ever since then. Um, you know, I did common sense fanzine. So, I think I probably tried to interview him or something like that. And um, so I just, you know, we were like pen pals. And then Mouthpiece was supposed to play with Insight at um, Unisound. I think our so either our first or second show. But um, well, that's where that flyer ended- is in the discography. Right. Yeah. Right. And then they ended up breaking up. They, I, I didn't know this until I read it somewhere that they ended up breaking up on the way to that show or something. So they never made it to the show. Um, but, yeah, and then I, when I was out in California – um, for the, uh, the, ch- the big chain show out there that those guys put on, um, Mark was at the show and I was hanging out with him and talking and um, stuff and, and yeah, we've just, you know, kind of stayed connected through social media and stuff like that. And he just reached out to me and said, Hey, would you write something? And I don't usually write stuff for, for bands, but, um, I said, sure, I'll do it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's yeah, how we were,
2: we were saying like, um, the discography that's on. Mission 2, if you go to mission2entertainment.com, and we're working on getting a link from our website so you can go and they'll know that we sent you. Um, Mm -hmm. The discography has, like, all these cool old flyers and pictures. It has liner notes from you. It has notes from Jeremy, uh, the guitar player. We had Jeremy and Mark on here. Um, Uh And we were were just saying, like, it's a really well-done collection, Um, I think, like, All the stuff inside. It's definitely worth owning. Um, And the merch we were talking about is sick. They have like Uh, all this stuff on Champion. Yeah. Yeah. Champion shorts and Champion shirts and all this stuff.
1: I'll tell you what. Mission 2, I mean, I don't – I've actually never met Tony Brummel. But, um, you know, with me writing this, this, you know, little piece for the discography, um, they literally sent me every single – Thing that they produced for this uh, every color vinyl they sent me a test pressing they sent me a hat they sent me sweatshirts t shirt every t-shirt i mean i have every single thing so it's just really really yeah. cool i mean like i've contributed to a lot of different records and nobody's ever given me like that kind of stuff so it was we were was saying they're cool. like
2: they're really uh it seems like they're really into building label up and treating mm-hmm. the artists and people well um so yeah, bit of bow to Mission Two. Uh, I've worked with uh, Mike, bit of bow Mike, and bit of bow to Clint. Um, we, we've we've given those guys uh, a bit of bows before, and we'll continue to because it's a, it's cool, and that that discography is awesome. Like we were saying, oh yeah, think if you're into if you're into late '80s, early '90s, hardcore, straight edge, hardcore, it's a must own. Like it takes it, it makes it, it gives them the, the, um, status I guess that they deserve as not just being this as not just being this like you know lower tier thing because they shouldn't be Mm -hmm. they're they're awesome. I think Javier had
0: one more question though, right, Javier? Yeah. Do you have the mic? You have insights, Mike. On oh, live yeah. set,
1: <laughs> no. is it no, in the basement? No, I do not, and it is not in the basement. Um, but man, I can t- I can assure you, Mark was fucking furious about that, um, and I don't blame him. You know, it was one of those probably expensive cordless mics, and I don't know if it disappeared at Scott's house or not. That was my friend's house that had the ramp, um, but no, absolutely not. No, I don't know anybody that had it, and I asked pretty much knew almost 90% of the people that were there, and nobody nobody knew anything about it. So maybe I don't John, know what would anybody do with a, with a cordless mic, you know? Maybe I, uh, I know.
0: John Coyle ended up with it eventually.
1: John Coyle, <laughs> maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, why are we here today, Greg? What are we doing here? So
2: today we're here to talk about uh, Revelation 011, uh, the bold, self-titled, seven-inch, which later uh, got issued as a 12 inch remixed with some extra tracks as Looking Back. So one thing Revelation does is a lot of times they keep the catalog number even when they do like a, a reissue. So this is a case where we're kind of talking about two records at once. But before we talk about that, Tim, did, I don't know. Did you have a chance to listen to the Speak Out episode? Do you have any thoughts? Or even oh, yeah, if you didn't, did, did you like? What's your take on the Speak Out record? Because I feel like that's one of those records where you're either like the three of us here and you absolutely love it, and I, yeah, I feel like I can speak for you and say the four of us here. But then there's people mm-hmm. who are just like think that the recording's bad and uh, bolds a t-shirt band and this and that like, so if you want yeah, to sh- share a little bit. Of yeah. Things.
1: I mean, you know, for me, the bold love goes back so far. I mean, like when I first discovered straight edge hardcore, it was, it was basically youth of the day, you know, from choice and crippled youth. So it was before they were even bold, I was hearing about them. And the thing that was so cool to me is that they were like young kids that were my age or, you know, they're actually like a couple, two years older than me. Um, but you know, everybody else was like, in 18 19 you know twenty twenty one in like 87 88 whereas those guys were like you know 16 17 and i was like 14 so um or maybe 87 whatever uh 86 87 is when i found them um but so like right from the get-go they were just like an important band to me and so like i kind of felt like i watched them grow into bold and then um you know, like I love the Cripple Dew seven inch and then I, I when Speak Out came out, it was just like it was a no brainer. Like I just loved it. Um um the, you know, the whole package, um, the song, you know, first hearing it, yeah, I mean it the, the, the recording quality, whatever wasn't great, but I didn't have a whole lot to really like stack it up against back then, you know. I mean like it was not like there was a ton of incredible sounding like punk and hardcore stuff back then um so you know i wasn't really comparing it um i just know that it sounded a little a little darker than most stuff but um but yeah i i loved it instantly and then i think what really cemented it for me was seeing them um i saw them in 88 at um rutgers scott hall and uh which rutgers is that
2: the rutgers uh camden or new brunswick
1: No, New Brunswick.
2: New Brunswick. Um,
1: Yeah, and that's right when Capone had joined the band. So they were a five-piece with Zulu and Capone. And that show, I mean, and they will probably um, reiterate that, um, that that show was just an amazing show because the way it is had just come out, um, uh, Speak Out just released. I remember Jordan was there at the show selling the posters for Speak Out and the way it is and the albums were there and you know tom capone was walking around selling beyond demos and uh the boiling point guys were there they just boiling point issue two had just come out it was just like a hotbed for like incredible stuff going on in the hardcore scene specifically like the straight edge hardcore stuff with you know revelation everything um so it was just like it was just an explosion of just coolness you know for me Mm -hmm. um you know i was just a whatever, you know, 88, I was like 14 years old. So, so you know I nuts. came to the show, yeah, I, I went to the show and saw them and they just completely blew me away. And, and, and there were so many people there. I mean, there's pictures, there's pictures on the discography um, from that show. And like I said, I'm sure the bold guys have mentioned, I think they mentioned it. I think I heard Drew mention, uh, not Drew, um, Tim mention it on the Speak Out um, episode. Um, that was just such a crazy, great show, just packed up front. everybody singing along. They were great. They were still doing like crippled you songs back then. Um, so that band just really hit home for me, like right from the get go. And, um, you know, over the next year, I saw them a couple more times and both times again, they were just incredible. And the last time that I saw them play city gardens, was the uh, the show that ends up as the picture on the cover of the uh, the search discography?
2: Was that and, the summer? Uh, was that the summer tour
1: '89? Then when you saw that was which one? The the one the, in the, um, the search the Garden show?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that was July ninth, nineteen eighty nine. Um, okay. That was Gorilla Biscuits played and Crucial Youth played, and Gorilla Biscuits uh, played right before Bold, and they had the seven inch out. The LP wasn't out yet. And um, Gorilla Biscuits were just incredible and um, really just, like, you know, warmed us up for what was to come, which was Bold, who just came out and just just obliterated the place. I mean, you could see that cover. I mean, it is it is what it is. It's it's just, like, whatever, 500, 600 people just packed up front, singing along to, like, every word. Um, I was up front, like, just slamming my fists on the stage to, you know, to Drew's drum beats. It was just an amazing experience. And I always credit that show as um, the show that made me want to do a band Um, because, you know, again, I'm looking up at like Matt, who's just a couple years older than me, and he's just like commanding this crowd, you know, everybody's singing along. And, you know, up until that point, I had just done fanzines and um, like, I just kind of felt like my next step had to be to do a band And, and like seeing them up there like shit if they can do it like i think i can do it you know at least i wanted to try to to do it i think
2: people don't understand with bold i wasn't around in 1989 but just even from watching videos like they were a force live oh god i think people just go by the the records and say well whatever but like you watch videos and they were like heavier live tight matt knew how to you know hype a crowd up. And yeah. I think that's something that's so lost with them that sometimes people forget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there was this, you know, after they broke up and, and it, you know, into the nineties and probably more into like the later nineties, um, you know, there, there was nothing really for people to connect to that, that whole vibe, that whole feeling, um, you know, kids that got into it, you know, later on, you know, like if you got into it in, in 95, you, you know didn't experience it and all you hear is this you know subpar recording of speak out and then you hear the uh you know the seven inch or looking back and and it's like kind of different you know it's it's not your traditional yeah. like straight edge hardcore so it kind of throws you off a little, a little bit you're not quite sure if you you know if you love this or not you know um like <laughs> yeah, shirts gonna... are cool you know <laughs> but 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 it, it's kind of confusing but um i get it you know but for me you know, coming up and seeing it and being a part of it, it was, it was like, it was like next level. It was just, it was just like a next level experience. They were just so great, so heavy, so powerful. Um, And they were not just a t-shirt band by any, any means. Um, And, you know, they were a band who were just constantly growing, you know, from, from little kids doing the crippled youth seven inch to, you know, uh, adults doing, you know, that, that last seven inch, um, who had, you know, really matured, uh, as people and as musicians and, you know, I kind of got to witness the whole thing and felt a real connection to it and, um, and just totally, you know, subscribed to the whole thing. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably tough to come in, you know, later on and, and get that get that feeling because there's so many little things about old that might not hit you, you know, properly, you know, like you hear breakdown down the walls and you go, this fucking record is incredible. The recording sounds incredible. Um, but then you hear speak out and you're like, I don't know. I think it's cool, you know, but it's, I get it, you know, but I can, I can, I can assure you that they were a heavy, heavy, force of power that was just phenomenal. I mean, you could look at that, those pictures back then and see that crowd. You know, that's not that's not make-believe. You know, that, right. that shit was real.
2: And there's a bunch of videos on YouTube now, too, like Shining Life uh, right. put up a bunch. And you watch them, and like I said, it's like, and I talked about in the Speak Out, like, they can hold their own against a judge, against Gorilla Biscuits, against Youth of Today. Like, they're not they're not a second-tier act to me like they were no, no. and especially honestly this the you know this seven inch mm-hmm. was I know when I first heard it I, I bought uh I guess the one I got was this the, the blue and mm-hmm. um, I like heard the beginning of Running Like Thieves and I was like is this a joke like I wasn't even yeah. then I was like I was like 16 I heard it and then very quickly by the end of the record I was like sold on it
1: yeah. Um, well, even so, even me, who, who, who was a diehard fan. I mean, I was a diehard fan. Obviously, you hear that in my voice here. When um, when I got the 7-inch, when it came out, um, I put it on, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Like, and it was posthumous, too, right? Like, it came out yeah. after they broke up. Well, well it came out in 89, right? Because um, I it asked, it actually wanted to ask, we actually – yeah it
2: the came 70s. out
1: you're talking about the 70s right yeah, yeah 89 it's,
2: it's i think it came yeah. out fall of 89 because in the um summer tour 89 zine again by shining life right they talk about how it came out posthumously they were at college right. and um like they charted on cmj or something like next to David oh, right, Bowie, right, right. and they just thought that now, was like super cool
1: i had i remember from that city garden show in July of 89, them playing some of those songs. I remember uh, Hateful, maybe Running Like Thieves. Um, they might have played all of them, but I do specifically remember um, Hateful and Running Like Thieves and thinking, man, these songs sound incredible. And I couldn't wait to hear the new Bold 7-inch, you know, because I, again, I, I seen the progress of the band, you know, so I knew where they were going. And I couldn't wait to hear. I was so ecstatic for that um, seventh to come out. And then when I got it, it, it definitely sounded different. You know, it didn't sound as heavy and as powerful to me at the time when I got it, as I had recalled them sounding live, you know, and then I kind of always attributed that to the fact that it's just Matt and Tom and Drew playing. And it wasn't like, The full band like would it had sound differently if if tim was playing and if if zulu was playing you know would it have had a little bit of a different sound i don't know maybe it would maybe it wouldn't have um i've had the same conversation with with tim brooks about it and um and uh he kind of agreed um so it would have been cool to see that happen but obviously it did but um but yeah, it, it it definitely threw me off at first, and it took a little time. Now, when I say a little time, it probably only took me, you know, if, if I bought the record on Friday, by Sunday, I was I was like, okay, this is this is great, I love it, you know. Would you say you um, need a
2: little time, little more time? Jason was waiting okay, for me. Yeah, I was. I was. I, could see <laughs> I, could see
3: I
1: was on
2: mute. I was on mute, or I would have jumped in with that. Definitely, I, had I think to. I can definitely. Sorry. I could definitely say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely was like it's it not. It's a. It's it's a weird record. Like, I don't think... So I know I'd seen interviews with Drew, especially, like, after, you know, when he was in an Into Another, talking about how he thinks that, like, bands, like, people, you know, crapped on this record when it came out, and then years later, it seemed like people were, like, influenced by this, but I yeah. can't think of anyone that really has this sound, where it... Because it's taking... You know, you got Tom Capone, who it's known, he's, like a metal you know he's like a metal head like he was like it you know, wasn't he thanked in like a Bathory record or something when he was like yeah playing? yeah
1: yeah Tom Tom did a, a, a metal fanzine back in the 80s so yeah he was he was a real real metalhead for sure
2: so he's got this like you know new wave of British heavy metal kind of guitar mm-hmm. mixed with like to me like a Brian Baker like you know the technical stuff and then you have Matt, whose voice to me is not like anybody else in hardcore at that time with the kind of the crew. Right, Jordan, um, right,
3: right. Jordan, what did you think of the record when you heard it? That Wait. was what I was going to ask. We do have, well, well, first we,
0: of, we have a special Oh, yeah. Guest. I'm sorry. I just threw that out. Gosh, you just <laughs> squashed the whole thing, Jason. Cut we this just, part out, Half. No Cut way. I'm leaving this in. We just got joined by a special guest. We threw out the invite, and um, he just landed. Jordan Cooper is in the house.
4: Jordan? Uh, yeah, I I remember Stop, Jordan. The, the thing that, hi, hi, Tim, how are you? I don't know how to follow uh, on all that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think the same thing that everybody remembers from that time was just, uh, whoa, Tom Capone really uh, added, added uh, a new twist on the band and the songs were a little different. It was It was a good, it was a cool time. And the fact that Quicksand was coming not too much later, you know, Burn was coming, you
1: know, it was uh, really not Yeah, me- it was It was a precursor to a lot of stuff that was coming.
2: Right. Like sure. I was going to say, like, it's almost like if this, if this would have come out, so the Looking Back record, so let's say the 7-inch never came out and Looking mm-hmm. Back came out in 1993. Right. At that time, I think it would have been, much more accepted, differently received and accepted because you had your super
0: touch and quicksand and burn and all that. So, right, right, uh, Axe to Grind podcast, bit at Boda Axe to Grind, they have an overtime episode about this record that's like an hour and a half discussion. And when I saw that, I was like, man, how are we going to top that? But uh, you know, hopefully, we can. They labeled this record as pre post hardcore which if you look at like the trajectory and i've said kind of that there's a few eras of of rev there's like the golden era the high school years then the college years is where like quicksand starts coming in into another all those Mm -hmm. they started getting a little artsier a little bit better at their instruments maybe smoked a little dope here and there but i think that (laughs) bold maybe was kind of the pardon the the pun but the turning point and like where yeah. people started to really like, oh, we don't just have to have like scissor beats or fast parts or like a ton of goes. We can put these fucking guitar noodles in, and we can be a little bit artsier. So, well, may- Drew, when we talked to Drew, and I, I might, I think it
2: was actually off, uh, recording or whatever, but he was basically saying like, you know, they you get a little bored of playing the sh- standard hardcore, and he thought that this seven inch I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but like this was as far as they could take hardcore before it crossed a line and wasn't hardcore anymore like yeah. after this you can't really there was only you can't really go much further and that, or then you're just you know a rock
0: band or whatever yeah jordan when you got right. the tapes for this and you're like oh this doesn't sound like speak out what did you think i don't remember actually about that part
4: um because i don't remember the the timing it it, my memory of it is that it came out so close to quicksand but it's obviously 11 to 18 that could have that probably was a few years but just listening to what you guys are saying it it reminds me that really this is the only band in the early years of, of rev that actually made any kind of Um, sort of stylistic transition. Like, bands got better recordings, maybe got tighter, but Bold is really the only band that kind of took a step outside of their, uh, you know, their roots a little bit with with this record, I think. And obviously with the the photo on the back, definitely. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I love that
2: photo. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's great. great. So, you know, this came out after they broke up. Once you heard they broke up, was there ever a point where you're like, should we still go through with this record because the band's done like i mean i
4: doubt that would have come to mind but i, I don't remember that but obviously we, when we were talking about doing the warzone 7 inch we we were, you know we thought warzone was breaking up too so i, I don't think that mattered for, right for to just, it was like about documenting things
2: cuz on the um we're, i'm looking at the promo one sheet uh for this record and there's mention, it says new EP out in June, which I'm assuming was this. And then I guess originally they were gonna do a full length cause it says new album in the fall. And I'm guessing they broke up before that. Like I, that's you the only time that, I've ever seen that.
0: you me about that? No, not really. Um, the only thing that I really personally talked to Drew about this seven inch specifically was the recording studio, which, uh, I looked up a little bit and it seems like the producer or the, you know, the engineer had also done a lot of like disco type stuff, like a oh. Donna Summer record and some oh. weird things like that.
4: Yeah. Also, it was called
0: a uh, baby monster. I, monster.
3: That's, I looked into it and that's where
2: dinosaur junior recorded where you been. Mm. Right. I was going to say REM when I got this record. Um, and then I had seen REM did, I guess some tracks on whatever their latest was at the time. I want to say it was, up, which came out in like the late nineties and I was like, they recorded at the same studio as yeah. bold. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I didn't did, know that. Was it a larger budget? Was it like we're gonna
3: we're gonna go in and, and make sure this sounds awesome? Because I think the recording sounds awesome.
4: Um I don't remember, but yeah. you know, the the record was selling well enough, you know, speak out was selling, so whatever they needed to record, they would have, you know, we would have not had a problem with, I don't think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like we mentioned before, and on the one sheet that's in the Record Aficionado book, Speak Out sold 20,000 copies between the uh, illustrious split CD, the cassette, and the, you know, a few pressings of vinyl. And then Bold was also on the two comps. And so at this point, you're looking at over 40,000, you know, impressions that Bold had made. And that's that's huge at the time. And so I think if they did get a larger recording you know, budget and they got to go into this big studio, it shows. Yeah. And they had the playing, they had the sound and they made this seven inch that's, you know, they stepped out of the box a little bit and sounds, I don't sounds think, like
4: it. I don't think it was necessarily a bigger budget. I think they were always just looking for a place that would uh, get them the sound they wanted for, for a reasonable price. And I think mm. Matt, uh, I mean, I think Drew, Probably wishes they went to Don Fury for this, um, or Music Box, or some mm-hmm. somebody that was more familiar with the kind of music they they were doing. But um, I think I don't know. I'm I'm not a good judge of of recordings, but um, I don't remember Drew saying that he really liked this recording particularly. I'm sure he likes the, the songs and everything. But
0: Jordan, while we have you. Um on discogs it says that you had a hand in the design or the layout Um, do you remember anything specifically about that as well?
4: Yeah, I mean the, the layout's pretty There's not much of a layout. It's just the logo But the one thing I think we've talked about this before like, I don't have a whole lot of stories, but one of them is the the way we distressed the the logo on the front was um but, uh, flicking uh, white out brush at it at it until it had enough white paint on it that it, it looked like it had some holes.
0: Yeah, I've actually been to the Rev office and and seen that. And I hope to go back and, and take some pictures of that or have Igby do it for me for this episode. But I think that's really cool. And I, we've talked a bunch on this podcast about how things were handmade And this wasn't done with a fucking Photoshop filter or a distress, you know, it was actually done. And that story that you just told is like, to me, one of the best coolest things that you could have done for, to make a logo at the time.
4: I mean, it was a weird mix at the time of, you know, we had computers and, you know, maybe some Macintoshes doing type and then work and assembly. And then, you know, camera, camera work for the film. So it's a weird combo of low end tech and, you know, high end, you know, quality, um, reproduction. So I, it's, it's good and bad, but definitely the, that was one of our first, um, glued, assembled, maybe the first glued assembled seven inch sleeve. So I was probably happy about that.
0: So no, you didn't, you didn't it, have to fold everything yourself.
4: Yeah, and also just the quality like it just it took things to a new like polished uh you know it was like polished more than in the plastic bags, seven inches that we did and I, I don't know why we had a hard time finding a place to get that done but um finally i guess we we found out about ross ellis and then it wasn't a problem to get the sleeves done anymore
0: yeah the seven inch sleeves do have a different feel especially on the blue cover one where it's like glued together and it's like you know it's not just the one piece of cardboard folded up and then put in a thing it it is like a little bit different and it does i i think everything on this layout looks slick it looks like you know kind of next level from everything
2: the inserts rad too it has this the you know folds out into the that live yeah that big
0: live shot can do either of you tim or jordan have any info about that live shot because it looks like it was not shot on a stage maybe like the crowd is behind matt
1: that's at cbgb's for sure Mm. um you you can even see the little sticker that's on the uh the monitor upper left hand corner that is on a million different pictures um i've got a video of that same show um so yeah it's uh, you can see the you can see the that picture taken in the video um
2: i like stared yeah, at this cool. picture when i got to seven inch you so, know like i was like oh the blast shirt and then you see you know matt's wearing shirt. a blast shirt schism uh there's it looks like the john jay maybe wrestling or something i mean this is it's, stuff it's, you do before the internet before the internet or internet was in its like nascent stages and just like reading the lyrics like i mean can we talk about how like well-written these lyrics are for some kids that are 17 years old i wasn't writing stuff like this yeah
1: i, I could say the same thing for, for speak out i mean there's lyrics on speak out that are i feel are pretty pretty damn good for especially for the age that they were
2: yeah absolutely like i never like when who's ever used the word trifle in a song yeah. besides <laughs> this you know can't waste time on trifle things <laughs> like I, I <laughs> like that's like that's, that's like not a word that you usually would hear in a straight edge hardcore. You got, uh, that, I
4: wish
1: no, I don't think so.
2: <laughs>
4: I, I, although I wonder who wrote which song
0: is it. I don't waste time. much uh,
2: Today we live. That might have been Drew. That's, that's Drew, I think. And he wrote that. He wrote the lyrics to that one.
0: Yeah. I know that drew wrote the lyrics to running like thieves, which he told me directly last week and one other song. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but either way. And we talked about this with speak out too. Like these are like kind of advanced lyrics for these fucking kids, 14, 15, 16, 18 year old kids and sitting around thinking about life and where things are going. I think that this is, these are great, great lyrics yeah
4: one more thing on the on the technical side so it, looking at that layout now just through the screen seeing you holding it uh, it, re, it it reminds me that i think watching dave bett layout um you know the gorilla biscuits seven and uh, the girl biscuits lp and the um judge judge lp i just you know yeah. i just saw what he did i looked at the boards and then i did the same thing for this even though there's nothing really complicated on it at least things are probably straight cuz maybe I used a square and uh you know just it's a little cleaner than the the earlier things that I worked on
1: yeah it's a much more streamlined looking 7 inch than than most of the stuff before yeah, which i mean i love, I love it. it all but it's it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a little different
4: and i have to look at the back of a, i have to look at the lyric sheet again but i think the the type side might have been typeset on an Atari <laughs> atari <laughs> sick
2: Yeah. Like, like I said, the lyric, like the lyrics are killer. And, you know, I, I I remember it even first seeing, like, you see the band credited, but then you would, you look and you see that Tom played all the guitar, Matt and Tom played the bass. um, And then seeing the three of them on the back. And I know that that was like, I guess to put it maybe lightly, like sort of a point of like, it was a sore spot. They talked about it in that summer tour zine. You know, we, we, heard about to basically like Tim and Zulu were on spring break in like Cabo. And then they just went and recorded, um, which is kind of wild, but when and you're a kid, you just do stuff, you know, I guess they wanted to get it done and they got it done.
1: One other thing to note is I don't know how many people know this, but if you look at the lyric sheet, Tom Capone's in the crowd, there singing along. So it's before yeah. he was in the band, he's got, he's got <laughs> the schism shirt on.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's Purcell's wrist over there too, who ends up playing you know with Bold quite a bit. So yeah, we were saying
2: so so this seven inch comes out eighty nine after they break up, and then in uh, ninety one they remix the four songs plus three that didn't make the seven inch, uh, a redone Always Try, and then the song called Speak Out, which I always love when bands have a song. It's the title of an album and it's not on the album like Scream with Still Screaming, how it's on the second record. So props yeah. to them for that. And um uh looking oh and the song Looking Back.
0: Um so this doesn't come out till I think ninety three. Yeah. So Jordan, get- Jordan, I asked you on email about this about why why the repress in ninety three of the seven inch onto twelve inch with extra songs.
4: I don't really remember, but I think it was, um, you know, that people kn- knew that there were the other songs, maybe they were floating around and um, they originally didn't want to put them on the 7-inch. Maybe they, maybe they were planning on saving some stuff for an album that never happened, and then by then they just decided that that was going to be uh, all that was happening, so uh, they let us put that out.
2: And Tim uh, mentions that he, Tim went in and laid down bass tracks for those three extra songs back in 89 after um, they recorded the seven inch. He talks about, he talks about how he used his own money, went into the studio, almost as like a I don't almost like sort of just like a, like a, like a power move. Like, well, I'm going like to, I know. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah. I, I'm, you know, I see both sides, but I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm not, and it was 30 some years ago. It's not like we have to take a side, but I can see if I were Tim, I'd have been bummed too. You know, you come back from vacation and you hear this and they talked about how they played it for Zulu. And he was like, this isn't you guys. And I don't know if he meant this isn't you. Like he didn't believe it was them or if he's saying, this isn't you guys like this is way too far. The Not other way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Tim played on those tracks and it is remixed. Cause there's, mm-hmm. I listened to all the records in prep for the episode. Like usually I just play, you know, the Spotify or whatever, but, um, the looking back is, you know, it's, it's remixed. There's some backups taken out.
0: Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff. It's in a different order. Yeah, but the again, order I think, the order is a little bit odd to me compared to the seven inch. It's like instead of putting the seven inch on one side and then the extra tracks on the other side, it's kind of like sprinkled in, and so the continuity's a little bit off.
2: I don't know. Today we live seems like a like a it could be a closer. So I always thought the the order was fine for both. Like going back to the seven inch after hearing looking back so long almost threw me off more because I'm so used to. Today We Live being the last song.
0: And there's, you know, there's at least four presses of the seven inch and thousands of copies, but then the 12 inch, uh, at least the, the Kevin Finn rev pressing info, it says there's only about, let's see, 1400 made or so. And so that makes the 12 inch a little bit more rare than the seven inch. And then of course, with the seven inch, there's like the orange vinyl and the pink vinyl and Man, I've seen people, like, compare those. Those We don't talk about the, the Rev pressing too much, but the, the difference between the orange vinyl, the pink vinyl, some of the mixes, and I know Kevin Finn did a lot of, like, archaeology with discovering any of that stuff. Uh, Tim, do you remember when that was going on, on, like, maybe the Rev trading boards oh, or yeah. anything like that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still kind of, there's still, you know, it feels like there's always something new that pops up. Somebody discovers, you know, a tiny speck of something and then that becomes a new pressing or so they think. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I've had uh, an orange copy and a pink copy. What I thought was a pink copy forever. And then like, I think I took a picture of it and somebody said, that's not a true pink. That's got too much orange in it, you know? And I'm like, and then they showed me like another version that was like even more pink. And they're like, oh, that's a different version, and I'm, it's it, I don't know, I, I, I think you can get a little carried away with all that stuff, but yeah. Um,
0: and Jordan, do you? Some of this stuff came out like years and years after the initial pressing, and so you kind of sit back and you're like, oh yeah, these guys are talking about these records that we made, and you didn't necessarily some of this stuff, intend for it to happen. I know that the the orange and the pink was like a pressing plant. You know, you're supposed to have burgundy and it got mixed up. But then you see afterwards these people discussing that stuff and the minutiae. And does that make you feel like proud of that stuff or interested at all? Or are you like, oh, man, these guys are losers. Why do they care? <laughs> I'm sure
4: everyone thinks it's a little bit of both uh, but um <laughs> I remember noticing stuff like that and and it was like uh i remember feeling like oh it's not perfect but um you just have to let that stuff go like especially in the early days like we had times when they would just ship us records and some of them would have a blank label on one side because they ran out of labels or they put them on upside down or somebody wasn't paying attention they put the wrong B side label because two black and white photos were Similar enough that they confused them um, but yeah that was uh, the variations of the bold and then then the GB yellow the shades of the GB yellow was another thing where it just got to where people were splitting hairs and you know I understand that it's interesting for uh, the most meticulous collectors, but I, I've never had the energy for that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Like my copy yeah. looks more like the inside of a banana peel than your copy, bro. Yours is yellow. Mine no. <laughs> is real cream. One thing I noticed with the looking back record
2: is that there was a pressing in, it says on, at least on discogs, um, 2002, 2002, yeah. I, like, which is odd to me just cause I don't even remember that happening, but I also was at the point where I was just buying CDs. That's true. Um, but there's one that was on gray. Tim, do you know anything about that one?
1: I mean, I know I have it, but I, I, couldn't, tell you, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, when it, when, it, um, when it happened. Isn't there a purple, too? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. That, that was the, you know, came out with like the original. Low numbers on
1: that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a, around, I got one sitting right here. On, uh, the one I pulled out is black, but I would have to look.
2: Yeah, mine's black. Also, if we could talk about speaking of <clears> the layout.
0: Hold on, hold on, Greg. Jordan has something to say about the oh. repress. Yeah, looking at Kevin Finn's document, it's just
4: the one, 197 on Gray Marble was just listed as the final press, which uh. around the early 2000s when vinyl, you know, CDs were, you know, they were probably peaking at that point and, and about to to start going down from digital uh, stuff, but vinyl was, was at its uh, low point, so we were just pressing certain things and calling it the last pressing.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, in I put together a very comprehensive Revelation discography to give to our email subscribers, and I had to reference Kevin Finn's document, a little bit of Wikipedia, which is not very reliable, Discogs, and then Igby helped me out a lot. And so the, the Kay Finn one was very spotty because he didn't include any CDs at all. And why would he include CDs in a record pressing info? So I get it, but it's, it's interesting that you say that vinyl was just out of vogue for a while. I have something really odd to admit. I fell into a very deep Katy Perry wormhole this week because I listened to a podcast that discussed the Katy Perry versus Taylor Swift um, rivalry and so Taylor yes, Swift all the way, by the way. Well, I don't, don't know. know. I'm a, I'm a Katie cat. But listen, I, I watched uh <laughs> why wouldn't I have a different opinion than you about that, right? I watched yeah. a, a David Letterman performance, and you know, he's like, Oh, our next guest, Katy Perry, and he's holding up a CD of Katy Perry. But now usually the stuff is pressed on vinyl again, so James Corden or whoever is holding up the record. So you could see the ebb and flow of vinyl and CD throughout the years. And it's, it's interesting that you say that that was the final press because you're just pressing CDs for a while.
4: And, and that, that was another reason we may have done the 12-inch, uh, the was we wanted to have that record on CD. I don't think we ever did. I can't remember if there was the 7-inch version of that record on CD.
2: Yeah, there's not. Mm. Cause there's, and those mixes are are, are different too. Um, but looking back, because that was the one, I, I had gotten the seven inch. And then I, when I was really young, I would get like the CD, like I got the seven inch first, then I got the CD of looking back. And I was like, oh, I don't need the seven inch anymore. And I sold it to the, to the record store, not thinking <laughs> like, oh, this is going to be different or whatever. So I had looking back on CD. And then when the search came out, I was like, okay, I have the search, and I got rid of my Speak Out and and Looking Back CDs because I was like, I don't need these anymore, and now I just have all the vinyl.
3: So the guy that remixed, the, uh, that did Looking Back, he also did a bunch of Public Enemy bonus tracks, too.
0: Oh, nice. Ooh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Jeff Jones. It's great Shinfo. Wow. Thanks,
0: Jason.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah, and this layout. That's what I'm like, here there's for. So many, there's so many rad pictures on on
0: this, too like yeah there are some really good photos i think that bold has always been a very visual band um the bold all of this stuff and the chain of strength seven inch i mean all the rev stuff but those particular like in that layout for the 12 inch version of this all the little photos that make up the big 12 inch it's like there's so much to dissect and like, oh, he's wearing this shirt, and he's pointing his finger this way, and you know, it's it's like a fucking hardcore nerd's dream.
1: Yeah, Greg, Greg if you're if you're looking at that lyric that lyric sheet with the photo side, the center row all the way at the bottom is the uh, the uh, Scott Hall show. There's a guy on top of the crowd with a Public Enemy shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. That that's the Scott Hall show.
2: Yeah, and like that's the, you look at these pictures and you're like. I mean, people are going off.
4: Oh yeah,
2: you yeah. know. And uh, I just I, I remembered staring at the and see I didn't have the twelve inch like the CD. It was like this this big trying oh, to yeah. look at everything. Right. So
1: so just,
3: Tim, when you saw them, you the seven inch wasn't out. Was the seven inch out yet? No. Or?
1: Okay. No, no, uh, no. The seven inch was not out. Um, okay. And, but like I said, I did. I, they did play those songs live, and I, you know, I knew their catalog like the back of my hand. So yeah. when they played something new, you know, my attention peaked, uh, and I was. I, I thought I thought the stuff was great. Yeah. Um, but like like I said, when when I finally heard it actually recorded, I definitely thought it sounded much different than what the way it sounded live. Now, so whenever
3: um, I googled this stuff, Double Cross would come up. And like, Uh you know, and and a lot of the stuff that I had questions on, I think you and Gordo previously had questions on, but were any of these songs beyond songs? Were they like beyond Mm. songs that uh, Tom had and then
1: him and Matt? Not that I know of. I don't, I don't recall ever hearing that. Okay. Uh, If they were, then I, you know, it was never, never, never told to me. Okay.
2: I'm looking at the reviews for when this came out and honestly surprisingly they're overwhelmingly positive like it, a lot of people like basically said like this is a step up from their their lp um somebody b- made the comment um oh uh and no answers kent mcclard he mm-hmm. says um you know about how they started so young and you know he ends it with saying appropriately it's the final phase and just maybe the most real like yeah, in see- other words saying like this was bold this was actually bold. They weren't, they were doing their own thing. They weren't trying to, to be something else. It's the final evolved form. Right. Like it's, it's an authentic thing. And we, we had talked with Drew about how to me there's totally a line from this record to the first into another and quicksand. quick stand. It's not nearly as much of a shock I think as people may have made it out to be at least you know in retrospect because like when you listen the first into another record like you know there's stuff that's reminiscent of of this seven
0: inch i think like god i cannot yeah. wait to talk about that fucking record <laughs> i can't wait to talk about
2: all those records
0: hey and i i'm some of you might not understand this but i think that honestly like just growing up and like i said experimenting like maybe smoking weed and they're just like, yeah, let's try this fucking guitar noodle thing or whatever. You know, it's, it, it, they did just become more and more experimental over time with some of this stuff. And it paid off for all of these bands, all of them growing up. Um, we watched it happen and we can go back and dissect this stuff.
1: I will say I interviewed Matt in like 88 for my first zine and I read, specifically remember him saying that, um, some of his favorite records were like the who and, um, Van Halen. And at the time you never heard anybody talk about that sort of thing Mm -hmm. in interviews. Like, you know, like capo was never mentioning Van Halen or, you know, the who, I, I can't think of anybody who was. So even going all the way back to 88 when they were like in their prime, you know, speak out era. Yeah. Um, Matt was, was already, you know, mentioning stuff like that.
0: It's yeah, and you mentioned that in the one sheet, it it says their songs were inspired by Bad Brains, Iron Maiden, Van Halen, mm-hmm. and Cro-Mags, while still incorporating their older style. So I can see yeah. that, like, you know, becoming more serious. And maybe they just got tired of listening to, the, like, Youth Crew 7 Inches all the time. And they're like, I'm just going to listen to the radio, man. And just listen mm-hmm. to some of these other new um styles
1: right i think they probably always were listening to this stuff it was mm-hmm. just that as they grew as musicians they kind of found out like mm-hmm. wow we can kind of play stuff like this you know so
0: and then it uh that was, real too. was able to introduce uh led zeppelin which axe to grind also said i think patrick said that he thought that led Zeppelin the good was, times yeah yeah but yeah, then. That is- but then, uh, you know, Judge covered Led Zeppelin later on when the levy breaks. So uh, maybe right. this was the the gateway drug for that. But
3: but do you think Today We Live was inspired by the TV show Mash theme song?
2: Oh. <laughs> it's possible. It definitely, it definitely has that feel in the guitars in the beginning. I talked with Jason about this last night, and I remember Dave Janis did it. Bo, Dave Janis uh being like yeah today we live's awesome it sounds like mash
3: yeah like, i said like it i hit. sent you the youtube link and then you and said i, I already brought hey, you know that up
2: before as, yeah as soon as he sent a link i was like i don't even need to listen i know like i agree like there's sounds on there that like i said there's never been on a hardcore record before yeah. or since mm-hmm. nobody's nobody had a and an, like the break in uh you're the friend i don't need yeah you know, the, and then tom comes back on fire
1: yeah I, I I will say after uh, like at this point like eighty nine into ninety, there bands like all the traditional type of sounding you know whatever straight edge hardcore type of stuff was going in different directions and and like it was like a lot of bands were going in the judge you know heavy direction um, mm-hmm. you know metallic and stuff and then there were other bands that were going in. At the time, the way that I perceived it is they were going in a bold direction, which was more like rock. And I, when I heard um, the Turning Point LP, I thought, I, I just said, like, man, they're listening to like so much bold now. They don't sound like the demo anymore, the 7-inch. Right? They sound like they've been listening to bold. Now, I always just automatically assumed that that, that was like a huge... Because, I mean, I, every time I saw bold, those guys were always there. So I knew that they were fans of bold. So I just assumed that they were you know, taking some notes from bold from this seven inch um, prior to, you know, writing the songs for that LP. Um, But then when I've asked those guys, they're like, no, no, we didn't. They, 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 (laughs) I mean, they love bold, but they, they, they didn't, you know, take it as inspiration really. I don't think.
2: Well, then Um, I wonder if it's a case of them just happening to have the same influences as bold. Cause I mean, I know, I don't know about Jason and Hob, but like Tim, you and I know Jay, and Jay's right. into, like, Iron Maiden, Van Halen. Like, he's into that kind of yeah. metal and classic rock. So it could rock. just be a case yeah. of like, he had the same influences of, Leo oh, let's take, like, the stuff we like about classic rock, the stuff we like about punk, the stuff we like about straight-edge hardcore, and, you know, put it all right. in a pot and, and,
1: and happen to get yeah. the same
2: result. And, and even old.
1: you hear Matt singing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you never heard Matt sing before. And now you hear Skip singing you know what i mean like right you went from screaming you know you know imitating capo um you know i say that in a loving way um to to like singing so you know, know at the time i thought oh man you know he must be you know hearing matt sing like that and and say okay i'm gonna try singing like that now after talking to those guys um, I, I heard not, not talking to Skip about it, but from talking to the other guys, they said that, because um, Ken from Turning Point did uh, Shadow Season, uh, you know, like prior to the, the Turning Point LP coming out, and Skip heard the way that Ken was singing, which Ken was kind of trying to sing like John Bunch did with Reason to Believe. Right. And Skip said, wow, if you can sing like that, um, you know, Maybe I could try singing like that. Um, so, you know, maybe there wasn't a uh, you know a Matt influence there. Or maybe there was a little bit. I don't know. Um, I think unfortunately I think with, we can't ask him.
2: I think with hardcore too, bands stick around long enough, and get like you said, get better at their instruments. Um, right. You know, you tend to want to branch out a little, and you know, as someone who you know, when I was in One Up the first demo and EP was like screaming. And then I remember trying to be like, Hey, I want to relax a little bit because honestly it's easier to sing than it is to scream like that almost. And yeah, it hurts
1: your throat. Yeah. Especially like <laughs> right? if
2: the music's getting more melodic, but you look at like, I mean, Youth of today Ray's voice got more melodic as time went on. I mean, what to speak of shelter, um, turning point bold, um, you know a lot I
1: mean, of these even, bands even like gorilla biscuits i feel like kind of went you know and more melodic more singing yeah. you know from from the seven inch to uh, yeah um, start today you know how,
3: how much do you think of that was how much do you think was the producer for that i would be interested in hearing from the band about that because the vocal patterns and some of the stuff is just like so different from speak out it, and i think matt sounds awesome on it his voice sounds oh, oh. the best it ever You're has kidding. in my opinion but just like
1: the The producer of the seven inch you're saying right because if
2: it wasn't because you got to think if this person doing it wasn't like a hardcore yeah person
1: and he did he He worked with
3: like he worked i guess the same place um let's see Mm -hmm. this guy i I always do my research on discogs but he worked with cnc music factory and boy george and gangster wonder if he's like why don't you uh yeah i mean that's what producers do sometimes they go well instead of doing this why don't you say you know
1: a good question. I, I with, have with, no idea
3: yeah, here. Why don't you Paging, say, need a little Paging time? aging Drew. Time? <laughs> Paging yeah. Drew. But I think the lyrics, I mean, the, the lyrics and the vocals are just like A plus on this, in my opinion.
1: There there are live recordings of Bold playing these songs, you know, prior to the 7-inch um, coming out. And, you know, Matt was singing more. Um okay. But I, I still felt that it wasn't quite as, you know, as refined as it is on the seven-inch. Yeah, um, we'd have uh, to ask I, then. I, Yeah, we would have I've to. Talk, Greg, I've talked to you about that live set from the last show that they played the Anthrax. Um, that, that is a, a phenomenal live recording of uh, a, a bold period, but specifically hearing these songs, I mean, you're the friend I don't need, it, it, I, it's just, fucking phenomenal on that um that live recording um matt sounds great the, the whole band sounds great they played that show as a as a five piece with zulu and um and tom so um, that. That it, it, yeah it's 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 really good if you can find it
0: that i might, I might have a bootleg about that um our dude but about matt arseth who has sent over a few things he sent me a bunch of files of live stuff soundboard recordings and there's some bold stuff in those so i'll dig that up and if we do i'll i'll share it with you guys
2: so that live set from the anthrax that was the one like you said tim with zulu where we all heard the story where he basically showed up and uh you know wanted to play and they wanted to sell yeah they want right and half the band was split on whether or not he should play and he ended up playing the set and sounded great livewire was supposed to issue that as a as a yeah. live record, right? Can you, are you able right, to talk right. a
1: little bit about that? Well, it's just, well, I had gone to Trash American Style in Connecticut and they had like a bootleg, like CD of that, um, that set. Um, it was probably, I don't know if it was late 90s or early 2000s, I can't remember, but um, I picked it up and listened to it and I was just like amazed by how, good it was like how good the quality was i don't know if it was a soundboard recording or if it was just from somebody's like handheld tape recorder but it's really good um and again those hearing all you know that whole catalog played like that as a five piece um was just really hit me hard um but i think there was like some points during the set maybe like during wise up where you know maybe matt gets clobbered you know people stage diving and pylons and stuff like that and like stuff gets unplugged and and there's there's um squealing and stuff like that from feedback from the mic and you know even though like we were super stoked on the recording and probably most of the songs sound great some of them don't because of you know technical issues like that so i think we really wanted to do it and kind of tried to talk them into doing it and then they were like listening to it and thinking i don't know there's some problems here and there you know and then they were kind of like well why don't we just do like a new record this was like when when bold started playing again in the whatever early yeah, 2005 2000, yeah 2005 yeah so prior to them playing again we wanted to do that um that live recording and then you know they kind of started talking about playing again and then it was kind of turned in well why don't we just do you know new, new songs or, or or whatever so You know, it never happened. And then that, right, I
2: I know they did that one. They recorded uh, the Super Touch cover. um,
4: Right, right. That
0: ended up on the, uh, what's it called again, The Well, it's funny because I actually was just messaging you about talking about this record. um, Because last night I talked to my dude, uh, John Cinco, who Mm -hmm. works for Element, and he played in Backlash. And Backlash recorded Wise Up for this record but then also tim you recorded a fucking excellent cover of without a reason <laughs> for that right, and right. then bold recorded a cover of searching for the lights but then another yep. band called ambitions which i had never heard of before this comp uh recorded running like thieves and we're gonna get to this record it's rev 150 but this comp it has a lot of really good stuff, man. It it really does have a lot of interesting uh, recordings and all, those four things. That's like four levels of this group chat right now. And I was trying to get confirmation from Cinco, but he the text I got from him last night is that they wanted to record that song at Dawn Fury and that Bold recorded their Super Touch song the same weekend. But... Um, hmm man that yeah that comp is great uh, rev 150 uh bit of bow to uh jordan for putting that thing out with all the you know m- covers of rev bands by rev bands past and present it's called right yeah, past present future that's Wait, it past yeah past present yeah. breaking out the classics
2: yeah it's fun it's fun yeah that's... um and, and like i said i really like that i love the bold doing super touch i think it sounds great yeah jordan yeah, do you have awesome. anything to say
0: about that
4: comp it was a lot of fun to do. So yeah.
2: Walter's <laughs>
4: Sick of It All. Sick of It All is covering Warzone. Uh, Bold covering Super Touch. It was uh, must have been fun for the bands too, I hope.
0: Yeah. And of course,
4: uh, the amazing stage set built by Jeff Cadell and the photographs that you took. That, that, was, that was
0: awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. We'll, we'll get to that eventually, then in uh, I think like two years, two or three years. 140 <laughs> weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh hey as we start to wind this down i think we got to talk about some hot tracks tim's tim. got to give a speak out one yeah well oh. tim, so he can start, my... tim can start
2: with speak out and then we'll come back to him at the end and
0: jordan few. if you don't have a hot track for this you don't have to answer but uh, okay. we we'd like for you to chime in I'll But Tim. looking back oh so jordan says his his hot track is looking back
2: the first time i heard that might have been on the um in flight that was the song on there. I love that song too. Great lyrics.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, You know? Yeah. Good choice. I can't, I also can't wait to get to that rev in flight uh, CD or that comp because that was a lot of people's first um, exposure to a lot of these bands. And it's just a really great compilation of kind of a snapshot of the time, but I think it's cool. Good choice, Jordan. Yeah. And that what's the, is
4: it the first song where the guitar – it just starts with oh, kind of guitar leads?
0: Yeah, the like Iron Maiden like style, Running Like Thieves. <laughs> running like thieves yeah.
4: Yeah. It's uh, sick. I didn't really think about it, but both of those
1: songs are, are uh, stick out
4: in my memory.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. All right, Tim, hey, your hot tracks from Speak Out. Speak
1: out. So I've got, to, I've got to narrow it down to one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, cause I mean, there's multiple songs on this on speak out that just are, are all hot tracks, but, um, uh, if I have to pick one, I'm going to go with search. Um, if you yeah. asked me, <laughs> if you asked me 20 years ago, I probably would have said clear, but I think I listened to clear so many times that, um, I don't know, search kind of became the new hot track for me, but I just, I remember, uh, a, a kid that I was friends with in, in high school wrote the lyrics. Uh, to search on a desk, watching, waiting, conflicting, debating. And I just remember thinking, man, that is so deep. You know what I mean? Like for, yeah. for like a kid in high school to be thinking that way. And I was in high school and I'm looking at this written on the the desk and I'm, I just remember thinking, man, this, that is so cool. And, um, that song is just so, uh, it, it's so like heavy and deep and powerful. And, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, probably been my favorite song on the album for a number of years now, but, um, you know, that, that, that style, um, you know, you have the, the nail to the axe, talk is cheap style, which is more of like a, uh, a you know, an, a, a 88, 87 type of, you know, crippled youth transitioning in the bold sound. And then you have these songs like Clear and Search and Change Within and Still Strong. that are just really heavy um, and just really powerful. And I, I, I've always tried to get to the bottom of like, because I don't think there's anything out there that sounds like those particular songs, like no. um, by older or by any other bands, you know, like it's, it's, it's it's really hard to describe, but I remember like talking to like Matt and Tim about it, you know, trying to get to the bottom of those songs and why they sound the way they do. And they seem to credit cro um, you know, for like, Certain songs off of Age of Quarrel. Um, that was kind of what they were going for with that, you know, that sort of like mid-tempo, heavy sound. Um, but I fucking love those songs, and yeah, Search would be my, my hot track. Um, that was
2: that was it, mine from Speak Out too, and and yeah. I had said uh, I felt like almost like that was like a precursor to. What they were doing with the seven inch, like it was almost like they're ending, right. they're ending the album, saying like, "This is where we're going to be going next." To to me,
1: so right. there, there, there's a there's a darkness to those songs that you know. I think when people think of bold, they don't they just think of like you know some happy straight edge hardcore band jumping around, but there's this there's this darkness to those songs that I've always connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't you know, and and I think. I think there's just a darkness in, in, in Matt's lyrics, you know, they, they, they continue on with the seven inch, you know, with, um, today we live, you know, like, uh, closer I come to death is, is, is. Yeah, for pretty, a 17 year old kid to do right. Yeah. You know, him and Drew it, it, it both. really, you yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I don't know who wrote that. I don't know if, if that was Matt or that was Drew that wrote those lyrics, but man, I mean, they're, they're pretty heavy. Um, as far as my, my hot track off the seven inch, um, without a doubt, it's you're the friend I don't need. Um, and I, I kind of credit it to that live recording that I told you about from, uh, the last anthrax show that they played. Um, if you hear that, that live recording, it, it just, it just sounds amazing. Um, and I, I, you know, Matt kind of sings the song a little differently. Um, but, I mean, I've always loved the song, but when I heard that live recording, I just went, like, oh, my God, I got I to go put on the, the record and listen to that song. And then, you know, when they started playing live again, because when they played live and played those songs back, you know, back when they were together, obviously didn't know any of those songs, you know. So so like when they came back again in 2000 and started playing like that was always one of my my, uh, you know, highlight tracks from their set, you know, to get to see them play that song live and and hear matt sing that song with so much like power I-, I love it
2: and they open with that now usually from all the like i was watching some videos yeah. from uh reunion times and i uh, mean it's such a good opener because that intro oh, yeah
1: yeah i'm I'm not much of a dancer guy i've never been but man it's it, when you hear that intro it's it's hard to like not move agreed
0: you know? mm-hmm Let's go to Jason. Yeah, Jason, what's your hot track on either the 7-inch or the 12-inch, if you choose?
3: 7-inch, Today We Live. I would say, so everyone has their tape that gets them into music. My tape was a dubbed cassette that had uh, the Youth of Today self-titled 7-inch, What Holds Us Apart, and then the Bold 7-inch. And I love the Bold 7-inch. And Today We Live, no bullshit, I think is the first time that I really stopped and thought to myself, man, I'm going to die one day. From those <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, that's walking t- around, yeah, Walking around with my headphones on. And just like stopped and just was like, fuck, this song is heavy. But I love it. And that's still my favorite. Like I went jogging in this pandemic like two weeks ago. And I think I texted you, Greg. It must have been longer than two weeks ago. But um, I was like, yo, Today We Live is awesome like the, the vocal pattern on it is
2: killer. The lyrics are killer. So that's my hot track.
0: Greg, what about you?
2: Um, You're the friend I don't need easily. Same, same thing with Tim. Like, I just think it's heavy. I think that, um, but I will say, I, I, I don't want to be that demo is better guy, but the, the seven inch version I like more just cause it has the backups that aren't on the, like looking back. Um, it has, and it's not overrun with backups, but it has these gang vocals at the end. You know, you're the friend I don't need. And um, it just sounds awesome. I think the lyrics are great. They're super relatable lyrics, I think, for, for anybody at really any age. Um, and I just love it. But it's, it's tough to choose a hot track off this one. This is, this is a super important record to me. And then if I had to cheat and add the 12-inch in, I would say Looking Back the Song.
1: Just, just as a little like uh, side note here, uh, I, I don't unfortunately without getting Matt on here or or Drew, I had interviewed Matt and Drew for Double Cross back in the early 2000s at Matt's house, um, and and we were talking about you're the friend I don't need, and it came out that Matt wrote that song about Drew, yeah, which is pretty I, pretty pretty mind blowing. It's, it's like mean, the
2: minor threat style. <laughs>
1: right 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 and uh, i mean you know he said it right then there it wasn't a secret you know and it was it was in the interview um so you know obviously they patched things up at some point but uh, you know when when you're a kid and you're going through heavy shit and you know it it could be your friends that you're in your band with you you write about it you know it's 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 inspiration to write lyrics and uh you know it it totally makes sense
2: and i wonder if um i wonder if he oh sorry jordan did you explain what, what it was, uh, what the issue was?
1: Um, I don't remember the specifics. I, I really don't. Um, but it, it might be in the interview. I'd have to go back and, and look. Okay, but, I, I, yeah, I don't remember.
4: Fun fact. This song's about truth.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was trying to go through
2: the timeline of when Drew t- – I, th- I I want to say there's a chance it could be about him – quitting the band and starting into another because Yeah, I, I feel like that, that had something to do with it too. He talks about telling Matt, like outside of the high school. And it's just funny too, because you're like, these guys are still in high school, but they're writing this right. stuff. And he tells him outside of high school, like, yo, after this summer tour coming up, I'm done. I'm moving in with Richie and we're starting a band. And Matt basically is like, Oh yeah, I figured you you were always this is a quote of Matt's so I'm not and it's in the zine, but he says, like, you were always a bit of an opportunist, you know, Ooh, talking to Drew basically being like, you know, you're trying to find the next thing. But and Drew's, Drew, his defense is like, you're 17, you're finishing high school, he knows he's going to go to college, he's getting better at drums, he's expanding musically, like, it just makes sense. Like, yeah. as much as I love bold, I'm thankful that we got into another, and we got quicksand. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's kind of like it it happened all for a reason and we have these great bold records and now they still play and it's fun
0: did I not not to like bring up weird stuff but did I hear that one of these songs is also about Richie Bergenhead's sister or did I make that up in a dream or something like that wasn't wasn't that
1: well I know I know Drew dated uh, Allison Mm -hmm. um, but I don't I don't know I'm not sure Maybe Drew told does, me that.
0: That's spicy.
1: Does does sound familiar. A couple of songs. Iro- like- ironically, um, Ricky, uh, Ricky Richie Burkehead's sister, Allison, works at the mall in my town. Um, she lives in Princeton. Mm. So we see her. We, we, she works at uh, one of the makeup stores. So we go in there. one One time we were in there, and, and I think... My wife was wearing chain of strength sweatshirt and she said, Hey, I know who Chain of Strength is and we got into a conversation and ended up being Richie's sister, which was pretty cool. I love nice. stuff like She's that. She's <laughs> totally cool too.
4: Yeah, Jordan, you to say something? a couple a couple of days ago and he he mentioned um a couple of songs being about I think today we live might be about him and Allison.
0: Oh wow. Okay. That's Drew, you
2: were saying you talked to Drew. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah maybe it was him that told me about that then he confided in me because we're such good friends <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like just don't say it on
2: the podcast <laughs> and <now laughs> i you just putting it out there i, I, know. I, I can't talk about the, these lyrics enough like i think yeah that's a big component of what makes this uh timeless and the fact that we want, like i will say an essential record yeah yeah, essential. It, like, sure. it, this is essential yeah this is like a okay.
3: graduation pack. You get starter pack and then your graduation pack is this. And is burn. your graduation present? Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: like I said, uh, every time I look at the lyrics, I'm just amazed that somebody that was 16, 17 years old wrote yeah. these. And that's why, yeah. but, but that's almost why, and even like Tim said with the speak out stuff too, that's why it works. Like it's a little weird when they do like the crippled youth songs And I know they do them for fun, and they do because they're fun to play. But when they play like the Speak Out songs, and this, this even now, like these songs are relatable as someone in their 30s, 40s, whatever.
3: Yeah, they Um, killed the New York show, the Rev 25 show. Hey, listen,
0: there's a a little bit for a little bit of a crossover here. The 185 Miles South podcast, which is done by our good homie Zach Oxnard, they did an episode where they did a Rev super seven playlists so they like did a fantasy football drawing and they each picked record or songs off of records and once a song was picked nobody else could pick it and they tried to build the most exciting playlists and ben edge picked running like thieves which i feel like is the obvious choice that is a top tier bold song a top tier hardcore song but it's not my hot track and I, I was if, just about
2: to say, there's no way you and Ben agree on a. Well,
0: thing. I mean, me and Ben actually do agree about a lot musically, surprisingly, and it could be because we're both contrarians to the fucking core. But and and I, I want to give Ben a bit a bit of bow, Ben. Yeah. I never.
2: I don't think I met Ben in real life, but we're internet friends. Uh,
0: I've I've met Ben in real life. We actually ran into each other at Moby's restaurant not too long ago, and he was wearing a uh, really nice jacket. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like a like you know how he's all into the like old hip hop record labels and he was wearing like this really nice yep. vintage jacket and we we talked about he wrote it. a he wrote a book he, re- he did killing, write the and, book um, and Chuck D yeah just, just posted a picture day, with it posted
2: it and we were talking about Public Enemy so there we go it goes full circle so
0: I, I I I almost picked Running Like Thieves because it is man just that opening guitar like Jordan said. It is very recognizable. You know, when that record comes in, it's almost as, to me, as iconic as the Gorilla gets horns. Mm-hmm. When it comes in, if you're a fan of Revelation Records and you hear that, that like kind of fade in with the guitar noodle, it's like, you're like, okay, this this Running Like Thieves is about to happen.
2: And that has a killer breakdown too. Yeah. yeah. That song's
4: yeah. also about Drew and Allison, apparently.
0: Oh, geez. Really? Wow, he re- she really messed him up, huh? That's for breakup songs. Yeah, <laughs> but like that breakdown
2: is unlike like like it's I don't even know how to, it's like not like a normal break. It's like
0: yeah. Why do you call that Iron Maiden? Because oh. it's like the it's got the like galloping <laughs> in like it, like, like Iron Maiden has that really galloping uh, guitar parts since so i think yeah, the, like the rhythm it's very, section it's very reminiscent of that to me and it's played up higher on like it's almost like a solo which you didn't hear a lot coming out of these rev records early yeah. on like that it was a lot of power chords and stuff but then tc3 just busts out the heavy metal leads from the van halen influence you yeah, know and it sounds
4: like there's a phaser on the drums there's, there's something weird going on there.
0: yeah there's a lot it happening does. on yeah. this and that could be from the uh the big time studio but listen my hot track everybody today we live me and jason the same one yeah (laughs) Yeah. i so we're we're actually split me and tim have me and
2: tim are on one side here and you guys are on the other
0: yeah that chorus for today we live like how it just it kind of shifts almost sonically and it's it it you know it's not the same tempo or anything and then there's like some backups and it's like really really strong and motivational but then also the need a little time little more time like that part man it's and it's super easy to sing along with i remember you know at rev 25 at rev 30 like that's it's really really easy to you know to participate in a hardcore a live hardcore setting with that and um you know this whole this whole seven is great i really really like this record but i think today we live is my hot track
3: you know what the ending makes me think of the johnny cash video to hurt oh, where it's like going through like his life like like the part where you're talking about how he's like won't move past tomorrow <laughs> that says, part uh, you no know, where it speeds up at the end you know we all know what it means don't die like yeah. oh, johnny
0: cash video cue the johnny cash video of your life <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's very it's that's dynamic man that whole that whole song there's a lot of shifts sonically and they took some chances and it paid off i think it took a
2: while i think almost to pay off like like drew said it was rewarding to see when they would do these reunions especially once he started playing with them again and seeing people going off for those songs
3: yeah i got a question though tim yeah this is gonna be a rough one Mm Hmm. Boulder chain (laughs)
1: oh man you <laughs> got a gun, <laughs> <you gotta laughs> gun to your head. You got a gun to your head. Oh, you got to make like, a choice. Uh, I we go, talk guys. about this like almost every day, Sam. The, well, yeah.
3: We've been talking about this and it opened up a large discussion. So I got to ask the man himself.
1: Oh man. Fuck. Um, I, I, I got to go with chain. Um, But it's man. It's so close. There, there's been, there's been stretches where bold is my all time favorite band period. <laughs> you know? So, you know it could be any day it could be youth of the day it could be chain it could be bold um yeah. but gun to my head right now i probably pick chain but um that's no knock on bold whatsoever yeah. i you know i worship at the feet of bold so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough
2: it's tough because like i've been in prep in prepping for the chain episode listening to a lot of their st- I say a lot of their stuff. I mean, they don't have that much, but like listen to Seven Inches and especially the original mixes of those. I mean, they were just a perfect hardcore band, just yeah. vi- visually, um, musically and everything. So it's it's tough. I probably listen to Bold more, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I can't even, ch- depending on the day, it could be whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey,
1: I, I, I'm, I mean, I say that, but like, I'm, I'm actually, I've, consi- I've been considering getting a, a bold tattoo. You, get, you guys ever, you know, the, the outline of the, the LL Cool J?
0: Did, yeah. Did you ever
1: see that? They actually, Matt used that, uh, Alex Brown, you know, drew it. And obviously it ends up on the side-by-side 7-inch. But before it was on the side-by-side 7-inch, it was used on like some bold letterhead. And um, you, you could see it in zines and stuff like that. But it's, it's one of those, you know, outlined LL Cool J You know, with the Air Jordan ones on and everything like that. And I just always thought that that artwork was awesome and, you know, connected to Bold. So I asked Matt for, for like a nice clean copy of it. And he actually had the original letterhead and scanned it and sent it to me. So
2: you'll have to send us a pic. I want to see it if you still have it. Yeah,
1: I'll send it to you. I might just get this
2: logo tattooed and then just have Drew sign (laughs) under it. And I don't have any, I don't have any tattoos, but I think if Uh, I got that and he signed his name under it, I would do it.
3: Can I can I bit about one of the start. Patreon subscribers? Chad uh Chad Koplinger, is an awesome tattoo artist that travels. That's your band, Tim. He's a Patreon subscriber oh, for where it went. So
2: Okay. Okay. Cool. Maybe uh, I'll have to get that if, if Drew signed that'll be my first if tattoo. If, Drew,
0: <laughs> if you if you make it to Screamers with Drew.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Chad, maybe. if I ever run into you, I need to get the into another star tattooed on me. Just oh, like, you know what? Just like I should Jason. Get-
2: I should just get a bold into another hybrid tattoo and have him just sign it,
0: (laughs) man. Well, this uh, episode has been great fun and I'm super glad that we got Tim in to sit with us and that Jordan popped in, you know, um, it was a a good supplement to having actual band members there because you know, at the, at the heart of it, Tim, like us is just a fan. And like, like you just said, it was one of his favorite bands of all time and so this whole podcast is not necessarily about being an expert on all of this stuff but just a bunch of friends talking about how cool these records are and Jordan while you're here we just want to say thanks for all the support that you've given us thanks to everyone in the office you know Lance and Igby and Veronica and everybody else and um, man this has just been awesome
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: just
2: glad that we'll we'll have one more chance to talk about bold in a couple of years yeah because uh i i would be going through a total withdrawal like that's the problem
0: with the chain is once we do chain, you know that's it yeah we yeah. talked yeah. i for the for the next bold uh episode of this, we actually talked about you know trying to bring on Zulu. Yes tim porcel bringing everyone Mm -hmm. involved and hopefully we can you know make it a big like big thing big old group chat that'd be awesome
1: you know i'll I'll tell you that that the the speak out um episode when you guys start talking about the idea of how they could have in theory re re re-recorded speak out at that same studio um that they recorded wise up it that that concept just blows my mind like yeah that is what like i started talking to a bunch of my friends like that could be one of the biggest what ifs you know what i mean there's so many yeah. what ifs but but man had that album gotten that recording it, oh my god it's yeah it's pretty so mind-blowing we didn't know because
2: chronologically the the compilation came out yeah. before the album because it's just the way you know it worked And we didn't know until then that they didn't do those songs until after the album. Cause you do wonder if they did them before, why weren't they just like, we should do this here. So it's just, it's such a bummer that they didn't do it, you know, the other way around and just go, ah, you know what? Like, why don't we just stick with this studio that we did wise up and having my say, but you know, it is what it is. We got the seven inch. And then you wonder like, because speak out was the way it was like, did that, give them even more of an impetus to step it up for the seven inch and yeah. you know so maybe they wouldn't have make taken this yeah. leap so it's like right. it's the way it happened but yeah i wonder like if they did an lp like the seven inch and did it at like either don Furies or i i was saying if they did it at, like normandy sound where judge did the lp i think it would mm-hmm. be heavy yeah, huge. And just brutal be like a whole different thing oh, but. yeah this is just how it happened and yep what can you do
1: yep it's history now
0: Yep. all right guys well everybody thanks for tuning in jordan we'll talk to you soon hopefully any you know we say anyone that wants to pop in pop in and uh we'll be we'll be bugging you shortly about other stuff i'm Mm -hmm. sure for a hundred more plus episodes (laughs) (laughs) it's super
2: fun like i said thanks to tim
3: yeah tim thank you for ju- for jumping in and to sure. jordan for being awesome no jordan problem.
2: jordan, jordan happy thank you to be here.
3: thank you and greg what do we got next week
2: so next week i think it's one that people might like right maybe uh, next week rev number 12 start today by the words. gorilla biscuit yeah, cue those
0: horns. Yeah. That's a huge record. I cannot wait to talk to those dudes about it and talk about yeah, some of those the shinfo and I mean that is one of the most important hardcore albums of all time. Top like, five. Yeah, top three.
2: Oh, easily top, yeah. top three. Top three. Top, three.
1: top yeah. two. Now we're, top two. Rev Ten's going. <laughs> Rev Ten's going to get in here somewhere, right? Oh yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing, we're doing. It.
0: What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier Patreon subscribers. Brandon Gavell, Chad Keplinger, John Cowell, O'Neill the Horsefucker, Mike the Mosher, Tim Shear, and Meep Meep to our dude Ryan Rainbow. Thanks to all of our new Patreon subscribers this month, and everybody for listening to this. We'll see you next time.